This is the American Variety Network on Block Talk Radio with Alex Cardinale. Live from Springfield, Massachusetts. Happy Thanksgiving 2015 to our listeners of the American Variety Network. Enjoy your turkey and get ready for some Christmas shopping right after your meal. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the In Your Face Talk Show here live on the American Variety Network. I'm your host, Alex Cardinelli. Hope you guys are having a awesome day today. Welcome to the third episode of American Tragedy Hour, our first tragedy show in many weeks. Tonight's show is going to be a very sad and tragic show. Now, I wish I had never had to do tonight's show, and I wish these tragedies have never, ever happened, but unfortunately they did, and I want to educate you guys on these horrific tragedies. But tonight's show will prove tragedy can strike anywhere, and sadly, no place is safe. Now, while tonight's show is going to be indeed sad, it will also be informative, and hopefully some of tonight's information will help prevent future tragedies of this magnitude. Tonight, I, Alice Cardinelli, will be talking about some of the worst school shootings in United States of America history. I'll be discussing the 1999 Combine High School shooting, the 2007 Virginia Tech shooting, the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, and some other tragic school shootings. I'm also going to tell you what to do if you ever become face-to-face with the shooter and much more. So while this show is indeed tragic and sad, it's going to have a lot of information you can use to uh, learn about shootings and stuff, and hopefully, within the next ten years, there will no there will be no more school shootings. So, ladies and gentlemen, today's show is being broadcast live. So that means if you'd like to call in and offer your thoughts on the school shootings, you may do so. The call-in number is one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. So let's go ahead and get. The American Tragedy Hour started right here on In Your Face Talk Show. We're going to start talking about the tragic school shootings right after the American Variety Network makes its introduction.
You are tuned in live to the American Variety Network here, live on Blog Talk Radio. With a name like American Variety, you can expect a wide variety of topics. Now, let's get live here on the AV Network. Hi, Jeremy Stillhorn. I'm tuned into the American Variety Network, where I find the show is very educational and entertaining. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? Well, prove it by calling in live at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two and go into a quiet location. Again, that's one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. Now let's get on with the show. Are you ready for a talk show that is brave enough to talk about anything and everything, even if it's controversial? Are you ready for a talk show where anything goes and we will say anything that we want? Well, then you're listening to the right talk show. You are tuned in to In Your Face Talk Show. With your host, the crazy Italian-American AC. You can expect to hear the unexpected. Laugh at what is said, or you may scream. In your case, sit back and enjoy the show. Let's get in your face with this great talk show. Alright, so let's go ahead and get our third episode of American Tragedy Hour underway. Tonight, we're going to start talking about the tragic school shootings and yes it's unfortunate that some shootings did take place at schools the one place where we all thought our children would be safe now i want to start talking about a shooting that took place in 1999 when i was just only six years old this is actually one of the most devastating school shootings in the United States history. And I'm talking about the Columbine High School shooting. Now, on April 20th, 1999, two teens went on a shooting spree at Columbine High School in Littletown, Colorado, killing 13 people and wounding more than 20 others before turning their guns on themselves and committing suicide. And actually, the shooting took place in Littleton, Colorado. Now, it's a shame that they injured 20 people and killed 13 people. The crime was the worst high school shooting in United States history, and it promoted a national debate on gun control and school safety, as well as a major investigation to determine what motivated the gunmen, who were Eric Harris, 18 years old, and Dylan Keebold at 17 years old. There was speculation about that the two committed the killings because they had been bullied. They were members of a group of social outcasts that was fascinated by the goth culture, or that they had been influenced by violent video games and music. However, none of these theories were ever proven. So let's talk about the actual tragedy itself. 
Columbine shootings, April 20th, 1999. At approximately 11.19 a.m., Eric and Dylan, the two suspects, dressed in trench coats, began shooting fellow students outside Columbine High School, located in a suburb south of Denver. The pair then moved inside the school, where they gunned down many of their victims in the library. Now, by approximately 11.35 a.m., Eric and Dylan had killed 12 students and a teacher and wounded more than 20 other people. Shortly after 12 p.m., the two teens turned their guns on themselves. Now, investigators later learned that Eric and Dylan had arrived in separate cars at Combine around 11.10 on the morning of the massacre. The two then walked into the school cafeteria where they placed two duffel bags, each containing a 20-pound propane bomb set to explode at 11.17 a.m. The teens then went back outside to their cars to wait for the bombs to go off. Now, when the bombs failed to go off and detonate, Harris and Klebold began their shooting spree. Now, the investigation was a really, really tough one, because in the days immediately following the shooting, it was speculated that Harris and Klebold purposely chose athletes, minorities, and Christians as their victims. It was initially reported that one student, Casey Brunell, was asked by one of the gunmen if she believed in God. When Brunell allegedly said yes, she was shot to death. Her parents later wrote a book titled She Said Yes, honoring their daughter. However, it later was determined the question was not posed to Brunell, but to another student who already had been shot and wounded by a gunshot. When that victim replied yes, the shooter walked away. Subsequent investigations determined Harris and Klebold chose their victims randomly, and the two teens originally had attended to bomb the school, potentially killing hundreds of people. Now, there were speculations that Harris and Klebold committed the killings because they were members of a group of social outcasts called the Trenchcoat Mafia, that was fascinated by goth culture. It also was speculated that Harris and Klebold had carried out the shootings as retaliation for being bullied. Additionally, violent video games and music were blamed for influencing the killers. However, none of these theories were ever proven. Through journals left behind by Harris and Klebold, investigators eventually discovered the teens had been planning for a year to bomb the school in an attack similar to the 1995 Oklahoma City bombings. Investigative journalist Dave Cohen, author of the 2009 book, Columbine, described Harris as the colossy brutal mastermind, while... Kobold was a quivering depressive who journaled obsessively about love and attended the Combine prom three days before opening fire and injuring 20 and killing 13. The aftermath of the Combine shootings. 
Now, many schools across America enacted zero-tolerance rules regarding disruptive behavior and threats of violence from students. Columbine High School reopened in the fall of 1999, but the massacre left a huge scar on the Littleton community. Mark Manns, the man who sold a gun to Harris and bought him 100 rounds of ammunition a day before the murders, was sentenced to six years in prison. Another man, Philip Duran, who introduced Harris and Klebold to Maines, also was sentenced to prison time. Some victims and families of people killed or injured filed suit against the school and the police. Most of these suits were later dismissed in court. Now, the Columbine shootings rank as one of the worst mass shootings in USA history, as well as one of the deadliest episodes of school violence. Here are all the victims that passed away at the Columbine High School shooting. Casey Burnell, 17 years old. Stephen Carnot, 14 years old. Corey DePooter, 17 years old. Kelly Fleming, 16 years old. Matthew Ketcher, 16 years old. Danielle Mayuser, 15 years old. Danielle Rowenberg, 15 years old. William Dave Sanders, 47 years old. And Mr. Sanders was the only teacher killed in this tragedy. He was actually shot and killed while escorting students to their safety. Rachel Scott. 17 years old, Isaiah Scholes, 18 years old, John Tomlin, 16 years old, Lauren Townsend, 18 years old, and the last person shot was Kyle Vasquez, 16 years old. Wow, a lot of young people died in this awful tragedy. It has to be one of the worst tragedies uh, in recent history for me. Uh, there's a lot of other ones that we're going to talk about as well, but high school should be uh, a fun show, a fun time. But when uh, you got someone coming in shooting, it's not so fun, is it? All right, so my thoughts on this case is that this was actually one of the worst uh, shootings I've ever had to write a research paper on because I actually talked about Columbine in high school in my forensic science class, and it's a real awful tragedy. I actually had to do a lot of research and write a whole paper on. And I'm going to save that paper for its own show on Columbine um, because I want to uh, talk more in depth in it. Because tonight I'm going to do a whole variety of school shootings. Okay, so let's move on to my next case. And that is the Virginia Tech shooting in 2007. Now, the Virginia Tech shooting, also known as the Virginia Tech Massacre, was a school shooting that took place on April 16, 2007, on the campus of Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University in Blacksburg, Virginia, United States. Now, the killer, and the criminal in this case, was a man by the name of Seong Ho Cho, a senior at Virginia Tech. He shot and killed 32 people and wounded 17 others in two separate attacks. Another six people were injured escaping from classroom windows approximately two hours apart 
before he committed suicide. Now, the attack is the deadliest shooting incident by a single gunman in USA history and one of the deadliest by a single gunman worldwide. The attacks received international media coverage and drew widespread criticism of U.S. gun culture. It sparked intense debate about gun violence, gun laws, gaps in the U.S. system for treating mental health issues, the perpetrator's state of mind, and the responsibility of college administrations, privacy laws, journalism, ethnics, and other issues. Now, television news organizations that aired portions of the killer's multimedia manifesto were criticized by victims' families, Virginia law enforcement officials, and the American Psychiatric Association were also heavily in trouble. Now, the school shootings occurred in separate incidents, with the first at West Ambler Johnston Hall, during which the killer, Cho, killed two peoples, and the second at Norris Hall, where the other 31 deaths, including that of Chow himself, as well as the non-lethal injuries occurred. Chow used two firearms during the attacks. Chow was seen near the entrance to West Ambler Johnston Hall, a co-ed residence hall that housed 895 students. Now, at about 6.47 a.m., he had entered the building. Normally, the hall was accessible only to its residents via magnetic key cards before 10 a.m., but Chow's student mailbox was in the lobby of the building, so he had a pass card allowing access after 7.30 a.m., but it's unclear how he gained earlier entrance to the building. Chow shot his first victims in the West Ambler Johnston Hall. At around 7.15 a.m., Chow entered the room, which freshman Emily Hilsher shared with another student. Hilsher, a 19-year-old from Woodsville, Virginia, was fatally wounded. After hearing the gunshots, a male resident assistant, Ryan Clark, attempted to aid Hilsher. Showed shot and killed Clark, a 22-year-old senior from Martinez, Georgia. Hilsher remained alive for three hours after being shot, but no one from the school, law enforcement, or hospital notified her family until after she had died. Show left the scene and returned to his room in Harper Hall, a dormitory west of West Ambler Johnston Hall. While police and emergency medical service units were responding to the shootings in the dorm next door, Show changed out of his bloodstained clothes, logged on to his computer to delete his email, and then removed the hard drive. About an hour after the attack, Show is believed to have been seen near the campus dunk pond. Although authorities suspect Sho has thrown his hard drive and mobile phone into the water, a search was unsuccessful. Almost two hours after the first killings, Sho appeared at a nearby post office and mailed a package of writings and video recordings to NBC News. The package was postmarked 9.01 a.m. He then walked to Norris Hall. 
Now, in his backpack, he carried several chains, locks, a hammer, a knife, two handguns, with a 19, 10, and 15 round magazines, and nearly 400 rounds of ammunition. Almost two hours after the initial shootings, Sho entered Norris Hall, which houses the engineering science and mechanics program, among others, and chained the three main entrance doors shut. Now, he placed a note on at least one of the doors, claiming that attempts to open a door would cause a bomb to explode. Now, shortly before the shootings began, a member of staff from the school found a note and took it to the building's third floor to notify the school's administration. At about that same time, Cho had begun to shoot students and faculty on the second floor. The bomb threat was never called in. Within one or two minutes of the first shots, the first call to 911 was received. Now, according to several students, before the shooting began, Chow had looked into several classrooms. Aaron Sheehan, an eyewitness and survivor who had been at room 207, told reporters that the shooter peeked in twice earlier in the lesson and that it was strange that someone at this point in the semester would be lost looking for a class. At about 9.40 a.m., show began shooting. Show's first attack after entering Norris occurred in an advanced hydrology engineering class taught by Professor G.V. Longsurian in room 206. Wow, some of these names are really difficult to pronounce, so please bear with me. Show first shot and killed the professor, then continued firing, killing nine of the 13 students in the room and injuring two others. Next, Cho went across the hall to room 207, in which instructor Jamie Bishop was teaching German. Cho killed Bishop and four students, while six students were wounded. Cho then moved on to Norris 211 and 204. In both of these classrooms, Cho was initially prevented from entering due to barricades erected by instructors and students. In room 204, Professor Livy Labriscu, an Israeli Holocaust survivor, forcibly prevented Cho from entering the room. Labriscu was able to hold the door closed until most of his students escaped through the windows, but he died after being shot multiple times through the door. One student in his classroom was killed. Instructor Jocelyn Contier Newick and student Henry Lee were killed in room 211 as they attempted to barricade the door. Now, eventually, Choi reloaded and revisited several of the classrooms. He returned to room 207, and several students had barricaded the door, and they had been tending to the wound. When Cho returned later, Caitlin Carney and Derek O'Dell were injured while holding the door closed. And he fired shots, injuring them more. Now, he also returned to room 206. According to a student eyewitness, the movements of a wounded Wali Shalun distracted Cho from a nearby student after the shoulder had returned to the room. Shalud was shot a second time and died. 
Some of these names are really hard to pronounce, so I hope I'm pronouncing them right. Now, hearing the commotion on the floor below, Professor Kevin Granita took 20 students from the third floor classroom into his office where the door could be locked. He then went downstairs to investigate and was shot and killed by Chow. None of the students locked in Granita's office were injured or killed. Approximately 10 to 12 minutes after the second attack began, Chow shot himself in his head with the Glock 19. Now, during the two attacks, Chow killed five faculty members and 27 students before committing suicide by shooting himself. The Virginia Tech Review Panel reported that Chow's gunshot Gunshot wounded 17 other people. Six more were injured when they jumped from second-story windows to escape. Now, police arrived within three minutes of receiving an emergency call, but took about five minutes to enter the barricaded building. When they could not break the chains, an officer shot out a deadbolt lock leading into a laboratory. They then moved to a nearby stairwell. As police reached the second floor, they heard Chow fire his final shot. Chow's body was discovered in Jocelyn Contier's newest classroom, room 211. Alright, so that is the... Virginia Tech shooting that took place in 2007. So I was actually in middle school when this shooting took place, and uh, we were all freaking out uh, about this shooting. All the teachers were freaking out. I remember that uh, they were talking about being one of the biggest colleges in the United States of America, and they were they were worried about uh, another shooting taking place at another major college. So it was a very scary time to be in middle school, and actually, I remember, uh, we actually had a lesson about, uh, what to do if there's a shooter the next day after that shooting, so, this, us students in middle school learned what to do in case there is a shooting. All right, the last school shooting we're going to talk about before we take our first intermission of the night is perhaps one of the most saddest school shootings. This is actually a very recent one. This school shooting took place only three years ago, and it was around Christmas time, one of the worst times to have a tragedy. Now, when this tragedy took place, it was actually in my senior year of high school. Very sad tragedy. And this is the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. Now, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting occurred on December 14, 2012, in Newtown, Connecticut, when 20-year-old Adam Lanza fatally shot 20 children and six adult staff members. Prior to driving to the school, Lanza shot and killed his mother at their Newtown home. As first responders arrived at the scene, Lanza committed suicide by shooting himself in the head. Now, I don't understand if you're big and bad and you're going to go into a school and kill all these people. I think you're a coward if you commit suicide and don't get arrested. But that's just my opinion. Now, 
the incident was the deadliest mass shooting at a high school or grade school in U.S. history and the the second single deadliest mass shooting by a single person in the U.S. history after the 2007 Virginia Tech shootings. Sometime before 9.30 a.m. Eastern, on Friday, December 14, 2012, Adam Lanza shot and killed his mother, Nancy Lanza, age 52, at their new town home. Investigators later found her body clad in pajamas in her bed with four gunshot wounds to her head. Lanza then drove to Sandy Hook Elementary School. Now, shortly after 9.35 a.m., Lanza shot his way through a glass panel next to the locked front entrance doors of the school. He was wearing black clothing, yellow earplugs, sunglasses, an olive green utility vest, and was carrying magazines for his rifle. Now, the first reports and initial reports, which had stated that he had been wearing body armor, were incorrect and false. Some of these, or some of those people present, heard the initial shots on the school intercom system, which was being used for morning announcements. So I hope I get these names right. But Principal Don Hoshbrung and school psychology, uh, psychologist Mary Sherlock were meeting with other faculty members when they heard but did not recognize gunshots. Hoshbrung, Sherlock, and lead teacher Natalie Heyman went into the hall to determine the source of the sound and encountered the shooter, Lanza. A faculty member who was at the meeting said that the three women called out, Shooter! Shooter! Stay put! Which alerted their colleagues to the danger and saved their lives. A teacher hiding in the math lab heard school janitor Rick Thorne yell, Put the gun down! An aide heard gunshots. Thorne survived. Lanza killed both Hoshbrung and Sherlock. Hamund was hit first in the leg and then sustained another gunshot wound. She lay still in the hallway and then, not hearing any more noise, crawled back to the conference room and pressed her body against the door to keep it closed. She was later treated at Dunbarry Hospital. A nine-year-old boy stated that he had heard the shouter say, Put your hands up, and someone else say, Don't shoot. He also heard many people yelling and many gunshots over the intercom, while he, his classmates, and his teacher took refuge in a closet in a gymnasium. Diane Day, a school therapist who had been at the faculty meeting with Hoshbrung, heard screaming, followed by more gunshots. A second teacher, who was a substitute kindergarten teacher, was wounded in the attack. While she was closing a door further down the hallway, she was hit in the foot with a bullet that ricocheted. Lanza never entered her classroom. After killing the principal, Hostrong, and psychologist, Sherlock, Lanza entered the main office but apparently did not see the people hiding there and returned to the hallway. School nurse Sarah Sally Cox, age 60, hid under a desk in her office. She later described seeing the door opening and Lanta's boots and legs facing her desk from approximately 20 feet away. 
he remained standing for a few seconds before turning around and leaving. She and the school secretary, Barbara Halstead, called 911 and hid in a first aid supply closet for as long as four hours. Custodian Rick Thorne ran through hallways alerting classrooms. Here's the sad part, folks. Here's where it gets sad. Lonza then entered a first grade classroom where Lauren Rosu, a substitute teacher, had herded her first grade students to the back of the room and was trying to hide them in a bathroom when Lonza forced his way into the classroom. Rasu Rachel D. Avenue, a behavioral therapist who had been employed for a week at the school to work with a special needs student, and 15 students in Rasu's class were all killed. 14 other children were dead at the scene, and one injured child was taken to a hospital for treatment, but was later declared dead. Most of the teachers and students were found crowded together in the bathroom. A six-year-old girl, the sole survivor in this classroom, was found by police in the classroom following the shooting. The surviving girl was hidden in one of the corners of the classroom's bathroom during the shooting. The girl's family pastor said that she survived the mass shooting by remaining still and playing dead. When she reached her mother, she said, Mommy, I'm okay, but all my friends are dead. The child described the shooter as a very angry gentleman. A girl hiding in the bathroom with two teachers told police that she heard a boy in the classroom screaming, Help me! I don't want to be here. To which Lonza responded, Well, you're here, followed by more hammering sounds. Lonza next went to another first grade classroom nearby. At this point, there are conflicting reports about the order of events. According to some reports, the classroom's teacher, Victoria Lay Soto, had concealed some of the students in a closet or bathroom, and some of the other students were hiding under desk. Soto was walking back to the classroom door to lock it when Lonzo entered the classroom. Lonzo walked to the back of the classroom, saw the children under the desk, and shot them. First grader Jesse Lewis shouted at his classmates to run for safety, which several of them did. Lewis was looking at Lonza when Lonza fatally shot him. Another account given by a surviving child's father said that Soto had moved the children to the back of the classroom and that they were seated on the floor when Lonza entered. According to this account, neither Lonza nor any of the occupants of the classroom spoke. Lonza stared at the people on the floor, pointed the gun at a boy seated there, but did not fire at the boy who ultimately survived. The boy got up and ran out of the classroom and was among the survivors. A Hartford Courant report said that six of the children who escaped did so when Lonza stopped shooting, either because his weapon jammed or he erred in reloading it. Earlier reports said that as Lonza entered her classroom, Soda told him the children were in the auditorium. When several of the children came out of their hiding places and tried to run for safety, Lonza fatally shot them. Soto put herself between her students and the shooter, who then fatally shot her. 
Anne Marie Murphy, the teacher's aide who worked with special needs students to school his classroom, was found covering six-year-old Dylan Hockley, who also died. Soto and four children were found dead in the classroom. Soto near the north wall of the room with a set of keys nearby. One child was taken to the hospital, but was pronounced dead. Six surviving children from the class and a school bus driver took refuge in a nearby home. According to the official report released by the state attorney, nine children ran from Soto's classroom and survived, while two children were found by police hiding in a class bathroom. In all, 11 children from Soto's class survived. Five of Soto's students were killed. First grade teacher, Caitlin Rogg, age 29, hit 14, hit 14 students in the bathroom and barricaded the door, telling them to be completely quiet to remain safe. It is believed that Lanza bypassed her classroom, which was the first classroom on the left side of the hallway, possibly because following a lockdown drill weeks earlier, Rogg had failed to re remove a piece of black construction paper that was covering the small window in her classroom door. Lanza may have assumed that Rogg's classroom was empty because the door was closed and the window covered. School library staff, Yovani Feech and Miriam Jacob, first hid 18 children in a part of the library the school used for lockdown and practice drills. Discovering that one door would not lock, they had hid the children in a storage room where Sesh barricaded the door with a filing cabinet. Music teacher Mary Rose Krista Peck, 50 years old, barricaded her fourth graders in a supply closet during the rampage. Lanza arrived moments later, pounding the door and yelling, let me in, while the students in Krista Peck's class quietly hid inside. Two third-grade students, chosen as classroom helpers, were walking down the hallway to the office to deliver the morning attendance sheet as the shooting began. Teacher Abby Clements pulled both children into her classroom where they hid. Laura Fenstein, a reading specialist at the school, gathered two students from outside her classroom and hid with them under desk after they heard gunshots. Feinstein called the school office and tried to call 911 but could not connect due to the lack of reception on her cell phone. She hid with the children for approximately 40 minutes, at which point law enforcement came to lead them out of the room. The police heard the final shot at 9.40 a.m. They believed that it was Lana shooting himself in the lower rear portion of his head with the Glock 20SF in classroom 10. Lanza was found wearing a pale green pocket vest over a black polo shirt, over a black t-shirt, black sneakers, black fingerless gloves, black socks, and a black canvas belt. Other objects found in the vicinity of Lanza include a black bonnie hat and sin frame glasses. The Glock was found apparently jammed near Lanza, and the rifle was found several feet away from him.
Authority, authorities determined that lines are reloaded frequently during the shootings, sometimes firing only 15 rounds from a 30-round magazine. He shot all but two of his victims multiple times. One victim, six-year-old Noah Ponsner, was shot multiple times. Most of the shooting took place in two first-grade classrooms near the entrance of the school. The students among the victims, boys and 12 girls, all between six and seven years of age, and the six adults were all women who worked at the school. Bullets were also found in at least three cars parked outside the school, leading police to believe that he was firing at a teacher who was standing near a window. When police interviewed survivors, the teacher recalled hearing Lanta curse, saying such thing as, look at me and come over here and look at them. The first call to 911 was around 9.35 a.m. Newtown 911 police dispatch first broadcast that there was a shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School at 9.36 a.m., about 30 seconds after they received the first call. Connecticut State Police were dispatched at 9.37 a.m. Newtown Police arrived at the school at 9.39 a.m., approximately four and a half minutes after the 911 call, and Connecticut State Police arrived at the school street at 9.46 a.m. Newtown Police first entered the school at 9.45 a.m., approximately... 10 minutes after the first 911 call and approximately 40, 14 minutes after the shooting had started. This is approximately 5 minutes after the last shot was heard. No shots were fired by the police. The Newtown Police and Connecticut State Police mobilized local police dog and police tactical units, a bomb squad, and a state police helicopter. Police walked down the school and began evacuating the survivors room by room, escorting groups of students and adults away from the school. They swept the school for other shooters at least four times. At approximately 10 a.m., Danbury Hospital sent extra medical personnel in expectation of having to treat numerous victims. Three wounded patients were evacuated to the hospital, where two children were later declared dead. The other was an unidentified adult. New York, the New York City Medical Examiner dispatched a portable morgue to assist the authorities. The victim bodies were removed from the school and formally identified during the night after the shooting. A state trooper was assigned to each victim's family to protect their privacy and provide them with information. Wow, this was a very, very sad and tragic case. It is really hard for me to talk about this case. So... Actually, the Sandy Hook uh, shooting has a lot of controversy behind it because a lot of people feel that this is somehow a government setup or it's staged, and they feel that the government is setting this up. But you know what? I don't think it's a government setup because uh, a lot of people were shot and killed in this tragedy. I don't. I don't think the government would uh, purposely have their citizens shot and killed to prove anything. The fact of the matter is, young kids were killed in this school shooting, 
and some teachers and principals were killed in this school shooting as well. So I'm not buying into this conspiracy crap that I've noticed a lot of you American citizens are spewing out there. A lot of you are calling Sandy Hook some sort of a conspiracy. I don't buy any of that stuff. This was a tragedy. Because, the, let me tell you one thing. If the government did conspire to do a tragedy of this nature, don't you think other countries around the world would be jumping down our throats? Yeah, I think so. So, this is definitely not a conspiracy to kill our citizens. This was a tragedy that was performed by a mentally unstable adult who was sick and he needed the mental help that he did not get. He killed his mother and then he traveled to Sandy Hook and killed young children, especially around the holiday season. How sad is that? I remember uh, I was a senior in high school that year and even I was bothered and touched by this shooting. Because when I was in elementary school, it was very safe. When I was a kid in elementary school, you never shot it. You never thought about someone breaking into your school and shooting you. Very, very sad times. And it just goes to prove that in 20 years, things can change for the worse. In 20 years, you're going to get mentally unstable people going to schools and killing people. That was a very tragic event. And for me, this has to be the worst shooting I've ever had to talk about here on the American Variety Network. So, very, very sad. All right. So, coming up next here on the American, Tra American Tragedy Hour, live on American Variety Network, I'm going to talk about some more tragic school shootings, including the University of Texas Massacre. So stay tuned, folks. I've got some more awesome but sad discussion to come. I have some more information and informative uh, school shooting talk to come your way. And I don't mean awesome in a good way. I mean that in a negative, bad way because it certainly is not awesome. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, coming up next discussion on more tragic school shootings. Right now, we're going to take our intermission, and I'm going to play two songs that are uh, associated with tragedy. The first song is called Tragedy by BJ's, and BJ's, <laughs> the first song is called Tragedy by BJ's, and the second song is called, <laughs> is called I Just Died in Your Arms by Cutting Crew. We're back with more of school shooting discussion on American Tragedy Hour right after this.
Alright, so right now, I'm actually going to play a song that was sent to me by a listener by the name of Romeo. Now, Romeo says this is a song that he dedicates to everybody from the Sandy Hook shooting, the Virginia Tech shooting, and the Columbine High School shooting. The name of the song is Please Remember Me, and it is from Romeo, Romeo and Alice Cardinelli. Dedication to all those people who passed away in the school shooting. So let's hear Please Remember Me. All our tears have reached the sea Part of you will live in me Way down deep inside my heart The days keep coming without fail Is gonna find your sail That's where your journey starts You'll find better love Strong as it ever was Deep as a river runs Warm as the morning sun Like the waves down by the shore We're gonna keep on coming back for more Cause we don't ever wanna stop Out in this brave new world you see Oh, the valleys and the peaks I can see you on the top You'll find better love Strong as it ever was Deep as a river runs
Do you have something you'd like to promote or advertise? Do you want to get some much-needed exposure for your business or your very own Facebook page or even your very own podcast? Well, look no further than Jackie's help and advice for promoting on Facebook. Jackie will help you advertise your goods and help you spread the word. I, Alice Cardinelli, have personally been great friends with Miss Jackie Wilkes, and she has a very kind heart, and she is a very sweet lady, and she will definitely help you grow like she has helped Alice Cardinelli grow. To advertise and promote your business or anything you want to advertise, please like and check out the page, Jackie's Help and Advice for Promoting on Facebook. Are you enjoying tonight's episode of the American Variety Network? Great! The American Variety Network really appreciates your listening. We also appreciate listener feedback. Please feel free to email us your thoughts and opinions on tonight's show. Our email address is AmericanVarietyNetwork at Comcast.net. That's American Variety Network at Comcast.net. You may also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns you may have about our show. You can also email us to book a guest appearance on the American Variety Network, or you may contact us to become a sponsor of the American Variety Network. American Variety Network at Comcast.net. Would you like to find out when the next episode of the American Variety Network is? Do you want to find out the news and updates for the American Variety Network? Well, all you have to do is go on your computer and log on to the social media sites. The American Variety Network is now on Facebook and Twitter. That's right, you can find the American Variety Network on Facebook and Twitter. Like our fan page on Facebook called American Variety Network and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter fan page is at American Network One. Again, our fan page on Facebook is American Variety Network. Hit like and our fan page on Twitter is at American Network One and hit follow. While you're here listening to this show on Blog Talk Radio, feel free to check out some of the other great shows Blog Talk Radio has to offer. There are shows for everyone, whether it be sports shows, politics shows, comedy shows, talk shows, and yes, even church religious shows. Become a loyal listener of Blog Talk Radio. Today, blogtalkradio.com. What are you thankful for this year? 
You know what Alex Cardinale and the American Variety Network are thankful for? You the listeners. That's right, Alex and all of us here at the American Variety Network are so glad you listen to our shows and tune into them. We love you listeners, remember that. The American Variety Network and Alex Cardinale would like to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and we hope you enjoy some tasty turkey and have a nice meal with your loved ones. Be thankful for what you have and spend time with your loved ones. Happy Thanksgiving all. American Variety Network fans, mark your calendars and get ready to celebrate. Saturday, November 21st, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific The American Variety Network reaches another milestone as we celebrate our 250th episode. Our 250th episode is going to be filled with plenty of awesome surprises and fun. Here to tell you more about the 250th episode is the host himself, Alex Cardinale. On the 250th episode, there will be three special surprise guests, including one fishkeeping guest who will be broadcasting live from the Ohio Cichlid Association 2015 Extravaganza, and two other awesome surprise guests. There will be some awesome comedy clips guaranteed to make you laugh, and laughs from the past clips, and there will also be a lot of fun. I personally invite you, my listeners, to help me celebrate 250 awesome episodes, as you've been a huge part of my success. So join me live Saturday, November 21st, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern for our 250th episode at blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Network. Calling out all you turkeys and turkey lovers, come join the American Variety Network on Thanksgiving Day for a special holiday-themed episode. This will be our very first podcast broadcast live on Thanksgiving Day. Live Thursday, November 26, 2015 at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific, Alex Cardinale will broadcast the American Variety Network for a special Thanksgiving Day morning special. This will be your last chance to ask any last-minute Thanksgiving cooking questions. I'll discuss how to make the perfect Thanksgiving turkey, I'll discuss NFL football on Thanksgiving, and much more. So come spend your Thanksgiving morning with the American Variety Network on Thanksgiving at 11 a.m. Eastern. Happy Thanksgiving! Breaking news just into the American Variety Network studios. On Monday, November 30, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific, Alex is going to share some groundbreaking news and announcements that will shock the American Variety Network and Blog Talk Radio. What is the news? Well, 
you're going to have to tune in live on Monday November 30th because no one is going to find out. Suspense is the best. Plus there will also be a special surface guest returning to the American Variety Network for the first time in over a year. So what is the major news? We will find out on November 30th. Listening to the American Variety Network, your only place for variety on Blog Talk Radio. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? Well, prove it by calling in live at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two and go into a quiet location. Again, that's one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. Now let's get on with the show. Are you ready for a talk show that is brave enough to talk about anything and everything, even if it's controversial? Are you ready for a talk show where anything goes and we will say anything that we want? Well, then you're listening to the right talk show. You are tuned in to In Your Face Talk Show. With your host, the crazy Italian-American AC. You can expect to hear the unexpected. Laugh at what is said, or you may scream. In your case, sit back and enjoy the show. Let's get in your face with this great talk show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Tragedy Hour, here live on American Variety Network. And tonight, I'm talking about some of the most horrific and worst school shootings of all time. Now, before commercial break, I talked about the Columbine High School shooting, I talked about the Virginia Tech shooting, and I also talked to you about the recent Sandy Hook shooting. And in a minute here, I'm going to start talking about some other school shootings. But feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142 to offer your thoughts and opinions on any of these shootings. Again, that's one Three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. All right, so we're going to continue talking about some school shootings, but before we do that, I would like to take a moment of silence for everyone who passed away in the Columbine High School shooting, in the Virginia Tech shooting, and in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. So, if you would all join me and give all these victims a well-deserved moment of silence, please. Alright guys, thank you so much for participating in the moment of silence. Very sad that so many people have passed away. Very, very sad. All right, so 
let's go ahead and start talking about some other awful, tragic school shootings. Now, all my people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s should know about this school shooting. This is the University of Texas Massacre. It took place on August 1st, 1966. Now, the crazy psycho, Charles Whitman. All my older listeners, this should ring a bell for you. Now, the day before the shootings, Whitman bought a pair of binoculars and a knife from a hardware store and spam from a 7-Eleven convenience store. He picked up his wife from her summer job as a telephone operator before meeting his mother for lunch at the Wyatt Cafeteria, located closely to the university. At approximately 4 p.m. on July 31st, Charles and Kathy Whitman visited their close friends, John and Fran Morgan. They left the Morgan's apartment at 5.50 so that Kathy can get to her 6 o'clock to 10 p.m. shift. At 6.45, Whitman began typing his suicide note, a portion of which read, I do not quite understand what it is that compels me to type this letter. Perhaps it is to leave some vague reason for the actions I have recently performed. I do not really understand myself these days. I am supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I cannot recall when it started, I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. Whitman wrote that he requested an autopsy be conducted upon his body to determine if there was a biological reason for his actions and increasing headaches. He also wrote that he had decided to kill both his mother and wife. Expressing uncertainty about his reasons, he stated he wanted to relieve his wife and mother from the suffering of this world and to save them the embarrassment of his actions. He did not mention planning the attack of the university. Just after midnight on August 1st, Whitman drove to his mother's apartment at 1212 Guadalupe Street. After killing his mother, he placed her body on her bed and covered it with her sheets. His method of mute murder is disputed, but officials believed he rendered her unconscious before stabbing her in the heart. What a sicko. He left a handwritten note beside her body, which read in part, To whom it may concern, I just have taken my mother's life. I am very upset over having done it. However, I feel that there is a heaven. She is definitely there now. I am truly sorry. Let there be no doubt in your mind that I love this woman with all my heart. Yeah, you sure did. That's why you had to kill her, right? Whitman then returned to his home at 906 Jewel Street, where he killed his wife by stabbing her three times in the heart as she slept. He covered her body with sheets, then resumed the typewritten note he had began the previous evening. At 5.45 a.m. on August 1, 1966, Whitman phoned his wife's supervisor at Bell Sist Lane that Kathy was ill and unable to work that day. 
he made a similar phone call to his mother's workplace five hours later. At approximately 11.35 a.m., Whitman arrived on the University of Texas at Austin campus, showing a security guard, Jack Rodman, false identification as a research assistant. He obtained a 40-minute parking permit, saying he was delivering equipment. Whitman wheeled a rented dolly, carrying his equipment toward the main building of the university. Entering the main building, Whitman tried to evacuate the elevator. Vera Palmer, an employee, said it had not been powered and turned it on for him. Whitman thanked her, saying, You don't know how happy this makes me. How happy this makes me, he repeated. He then ascended to the 27th floor of the tower, the highest floor of the elevator reach, just one floor beneath the clock face. Whitman logged the dolly and equipment up the final flight of stairs to the hallway that led to a dog-leg stairway ascending to the rooms with the observation deck area. In the reception area, Whitman encountered 51-year-old receptionist Adina Townsley. Whitman knocked her to the floor and hit her in the head with his rifle butt, splitting the back of her skull. Poor lady. He then struck Townsley above the left eye, causing a second fracture before dragging her body behind the couch. The first shots fired by Whitman from the tower's outer deck came at approximately 11.48 a.m. He first hit Claire Wilson, an 18-year-old anthropology student who was 18 months pregnant. Whitman shot Wilson in the abdomen, killing her unborn child. How sad. The shot dropped Wilson to the concrete on the mall. As her fiancé, 18-year-old Thomas Ekman, asked her, What's wrong? Wilson, Whitman shot and killed Ekman as he tried to help Wilson. He next shot Robert Boyer, a 33-year-old mathematician, who was killed instantly by a single shot to the lower back. After shooting Boyer, Whitman shot a 31-year-old student named Dazuru Hoofman in the right arm. Hoofman fell wounded beside a hedge. When Charlotte Derashari, a young secretary, ran to help Boyer and Hoofman, she came under fire. She crossed beneath the concrete base of a flagpole for an hour and a half, shielding herself from Whitman's view. Nearby, Whitman shot David Gunby, a 23-year-old electrical engineering student walking in the courtyard. Whitman fatally shot Thomas Ashton, a 22-year-old, in the chest. Next, he shot Adrian and Brenda Littlefield as they walked onto the South Mall. Two young women, Nancy Harvey and Ellen Evagatis, were wounded as they walked down the West Mall. Whitman shot Harvey, who was five months pregnant, in the hip, and Evagodnas in the leg and thigh. Both Harvey and her unborn child survived.
Whitman began to fire upon people walking on Guadalupe Street. He shot and wounded 17-year-old newspaper delivery boy Alex Hernandez before fatally wounding 17-year-old Karen Griffiths with a shot to the shoulder and lung. The next victim was a 24-year-old senior named Thomas Carr, who Whitman fatally shot in the back as he walked to his residence after completing an exam. On the third block, Whitman shot and wounded 35-year-old basketball coach Billy Snowden from a distance of over 1,500 feet. Wow! Nearby, he shot 21-year-old Sandra Wilson in the chest. On the corner of 24th and Guadalupe, Whitman shot and wounded two students, Abdul Kasheb and his fiancée Janet Poulis, outside a dress shop. Keshib, a 26-year-old chemistry student from Iraq, was shot in the elbow and Paulus in the chest. The next to be shot was 21-year-old named Lana Phillips, who Whitman wounded in the shoulder. Phillips' sister ran from cover to drag Lana to safety. Peace Corps trainees Tom Herman, Roland Elke, and David Matson were Whitman's next targets. The trio were shot as they walked towards a luncheon for volunteers. Matson had part of his wrist blown off. Elke sustained. Recall, he recalled that he heard Matson scream as the bullet hit him in the wrist. The youth saw Sharpnell from the shot had embedded into his own left arm. Elke was shot in the left biceps before he died for cover. Elke emerged from cover to drag his friend to safety and was shot again in the leg. A 64-year-old local shopkeeper named Homer Kelly helped drag the wounded duo plus Herman into his shop before he was shot and wounded in the leg. To the rear of the intersection of 24th and Guadalupe Street, Whitman targeted two 21-year-olds, Oscar Riola and Irma Garcia, as the pair walked toward the university's biology laboratory. Shot first, Garcia later said the bullet spun her completely around and she fell to the ground. Rayula tried to help Garcia when he was shot through the shoulder blade. The bullet exited through his left arm. Students Jack Stevens and Jack Pennington ran from cover and dragged the pair to safety. Whitman targeted a 26-year-old carpenter named Avinio Esparza and seriously wounded him in the left soldier, shoulder. Now, in d directly in front of the entrance to the West Mall on Guadalupe Street, two 18-year-old students named Paul Suntag and Claudia Root had taken refuge behind a construction barricade alongside teenager Car Carla Sue Wheeler. Whitman started shooting in that direction and hit Suntog in the mouth, killing him instantly. Suntog's body fell against a parking meter and knocked the barricade slightly opened. Rutt tried to reach Suntag while Wheeler restrained here. Whitman shot a bullet that passed through Wheeler's left hand and hit Rutt in the chest. Rutt died later in the hospital, but Wheeler survived. A block north of where Suntag and Reeler 
were killed. Whitman shot and kills Harry Walkcheck, a 38-year-old Dr. L student and father of six. He next shot the 36-year-old press reporter Robert Hurd in the arm as Hurd ran toward two highway patrolmen coming on the scene. Slowly north, 18-year-old freshman John Allen was wounded in the forearm as he and acquaintances looked toward the tower from the University of Texas Union. Having seen several students shot on the South Mall, a history professor was the first to telephone the Austin Police Department at 11.52 a.m., four minutes after Whitman had first fired from the tower. Austin patrolman Billy Speed was the first to arrive at the university. He and a colleague took refuge behind a calmed stone wall. Whitman shot through the six-inch spacing between the columns of the wall and killed Speed. At a distance of approximately 1,500 feet, Whitman shot and killed 29-year-old electrical repairman Roy Schmidt as he tried to hide behind a parked car. Students and university staff worked to assist and move the wounded to safety, risking their lives. One student later recalled, that was the moment that separated the brave people from the scared people. I realized I was a coward. Medical personnel used an armored car and provision ambulances from local funeral homes to reach the wounded. A 30-year-old ambulance technician named Morris Holman was shot in the leg on West 23rd Street as he tried to evacuate the numerous wounded. The wound severed a major artery. A fellow ambulance technician gave him first aid before he was taken to Breckenridge Hospital. The only one was a local emergency room. All active police officers in Austin were ordered to the campus. Off-duty officers, Travis County Sheriff's deputies, and Texas Department of Public Safety troopers also converged on the area. Approximately 20 minutes after the first shooting from the observation deck, Whitman began to encounter return fire from both the police and armed civilians. One Texas Ranger used a student as a spotter to help locate the sniper. At this point, Whitman chose to fire through water sprouts located on each side of the tower walls. This action largely protected him from gunfire below, but limited his range of targets. Three officers who responded to reports of the sniper were Romeo Martinez, accompanied with civilian Alan Crum, Houston McCoy, and Jerry Day. Prior to advancing upon the tower, McCoy had seen his colleague Billy Speed killed. Both Martinez and Day had driven to the University of Texas after listening to radio reports. Accompanied by 40-year-old civilian Alan Crum, who the trio encountered as they ran towards the tower, they were the first to reach the tower's observation deck. Beneath the stairwell leading to the reception area, Officer Martinez saw the body of a teenage boy, Mark Gabber. Next to him lay a middle-aged William, Margaret Lamport. Nearby, Michael Garber lay slumped against the wall with his mother laying face down in a pool of blood. 
The officers turned Mary Gabor onto her side to prevent her from drowning in her own blood. Mike Garber adjusted to the observation deck and said he's out there. Stepping outside the cell store at approximately 1.24 p.m., Martinez, closely followed by McCoy, proceeded north on the east deck, while Day, followed by Crumb, proceeded west on the south deck with the attention of encircling Whitman. Several feet before he reached the southwest corner, Crumb accidentally discharged a barrel rifle. Whitman was apparently intentionally unaware of Martinez and McCoy on the observation deck. He was partially shielded by the deck tower lights and in a position to defend against silence and assaults from either corner, but his attention was drawn to where Crumb had accidentally discharged his rifle. As Whitman sat crouched with his back positioned on the north wall and looking in the northwest corner area of the observation desk where Crumb's shot was heard, Martinez jumped around the corner into the northeast area and rapidly fired all six rounds from his .38 police revolver from a distance of approximately 50 feet at Whitman, all of which missed. As Martinez fired, McCoy jumped to the right of Martinez and fired two fatal shots of a double back shot with his 12-gauge shotgun, hitting Whitman in the head, neck, and left side. Martinez threw down his, his, now, his now empty revolver and grabbed McCoy's shotgun, running to Whitman's supine body and firing point-blank into his left arm. Martinez threw the shotgun onto the deck and hurriedly left the scene, reportedly shouting the words, I got him. Romeo Martinez was initially and incredibly and incorrectly credited by the media as being the officer who killed Whitman. Wow, that was a very, very scary and tragic school shooting that took place in the 1960s. Wow, terrible. Can't imagine ever that having that happen today. He actually had, the police actually had to kill this person. Alright, the last tragedy we're going to talk about tonight is the 2014 Isla Vista killings. On May, two, 20, on May 23rd, 2014, just last year, in Isla Vista, California, Elliot Roger killed six people and injured 14 others near the campus of University of California, Santa Barbara, before committing suicide. The attack began when 22-year-old Roger stabbed three men to death in his apartment. Afterward, he drove to a sorority house and shot three female students outside, killing two. He drove to a nearby deli and shot to death a male student who was inside. He began to speed through Isla Vista, shooting and wounding several pedestrians and striking several others with his car. Roger exchanged gunfire with police twice during the attack, receiving a non-fatal gunshot to the hip. The rampage ended when his car crashed into a parked vehicle and came to a stop. Police found him dead in the car with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Now, before driving to the sorority house, Roger uploaded a video to YouTube titled, Elliot Rogers Retribution, 
in which he outlined details of his upcoming attack and his motives. He said he wanted to punish women for rejecting him and to punish sexually active men for living a more enjoyable life than his. After uploading the video, Roger emailed a lengthy autobiographical or, excuse me, a lengthy autobiographical manuscript to approximately a dozen acquaintances and family members. The document which he titled, My Twisted World, which, by the way, I, Alice Cardinelli, have read. I read it yesterday, actually, and it was very shocking. It actually made me feel very bad for this man, and I think that if this man got the correct mental health that he needed, he would have not have committed this uh, tragedy. I just wish that I could have uh, reached out to this man and helped him and uh, understood what he was going through because maybe I might have been able to save him, but that was just my opinion. But anyways, My Twisted World was made available on the internet and became widely known as his manifesto. And as you read it, you can understand some of the things that he was going through. Maybe it's just me being a nice person and uh, hearing his word and hearing his um, anger and his uh, feelings of betrayal. But I, I like, I'm a people person, so I understand how, what it feels like. But in it, he described his childhood, family conflicts, frustration over not being able to find a girlfriend, his hatred of women, his contempt for racial minorities and interracial couples, and his plans for what he described as retribution. Now, before I move on with this tragedy, I would just say for the record, while I did cope and understand with his letter, My Twisted World, I, Alice Cardinelli, do not condone what Elliot Roger. So before any of you listeners go out there and make assumptions that I was sticking up for a murderer and a criminal, that is simply not the case. I was just feeling bad uh, for what I read in his manifesto, like any normal human being would do. But I definitely do not condone what, what he did. So Roger began his attacks at his apartment in Seville Road, where three men were found dead inside. Each victim had received multiple stab wounds, and all had been killed approximately three hours before the shooting spree. So, less than two hours preceding the shooting spree, Roger went to a Starbucks coffee shop where he purchased some coffee. He was later seen sitting in his car in the parking lot of his apartment building at about 8.30 p.m. working on his laptop. He uploaded the retribution video at 9.17 p.m. and sent his manifesto email at 9.18 p.m. Roger drove to the Alpha Phi sorority house. He knocked on the sorority house door for a few minutes. After no one answered, he began shooting people who were nearby. He first shot three Delta, Delta, Delta sorority sisters, killing two of them and wounding the third. Responding sheriff's deputies and nearby pedestrians ran to the victims and tried to tend to their wounds before ambulances arrived. After returning to his car, Rogers drove two blocks onto Paradell Road and fired once at a coffee shop as he went eastbound. The shop was closed and unoccupied. The shop was closed and unoccupied at the time, and no one was injured by the gunshot. 
He then arrived at the Ila Vista Deli Mart and fired several gunshots into the building, fatally shooting a student inside. His car was seen leaving the scene by four responding foot patrol officers, but they did not identify him as the shooter. He drove south on the wrong side of the street, striking a pedestrian, a pedestrian crossing the street and firing at two others on the sidewalk, but missing both. Turning north on Camino Diesler, Rogers shot and wounded three people at Sabado Tarde and also struck a skateboarder and two bicyclists with his car. Turning east on Sabado Tarde, he struck a skateboarder with his car and shot two other men at the intersection. Police found Roger dead inside his vehicle from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his head. He killed a total of six other people and wounded 14 others. Very, very sad case. Now, although this is really not a school shooting, he did kill people in a sorority house, and he did kill people in a college, which I left out from my uh, script. But it was a very, very tragic case. And uh, this is actually a case where you had an individual who was actually having uh, mental issues, and he didn't get the help he needed, and he felt that the world was out to get him. He felt that the women out there were out to get him, and he felt jealous at the fact that some men had beautiful women. So he desperately needed some mental help, and he had some really bad mental help. And in a way, I kind of feel bad for Elliot Roger. But in another way, I feel that this kid had a lot going for him. He was in a rich family, and uh, he had a whole lot of stuff going for him that a lot of people would actually want to have. But instead, he felt that the world was treating him wrong, so he had to get re revenge and redemption. So I really don't understand the whole concept of this tragedy, but it's a tragedy that happened nonetheless. And uh, unfortunately, this kid did not get the help he needed. Sad that all six of those people had to die from this person. Now, most of the cases that I talked about tonight could have been avoided because I believe bully, bullying and mental health is believed to have been part of the reason these shootings take place. For example, the case I just told you about a minute ago about Elliot Roger, if he had gotten the mental help and support he needed, he could have turned his life around. Bullying not only hurts feelings, it could also turn a good person bad. Now, I'm not saying this as an excuse, but bullying scares people more ways than one. Not only does it scare people, it scars people more ways than one as well. So, I'm a strong advocate that stands against bullying. If you see bullying, stop it immediately. Stop it instantly. Be nice to others. I really feel that bullying and mental health issues led to the shooting. I think uh, if some of these individuals like Adam Lanza and Elliot Roger got the mental help they needed, we wouldn't be talking about these tragedies. Uh, but who knows? Maybe the mental help would not help at all, but who knows? It's, not worth, a tr it's worth a try, right? Alright, our last topic for tonight's show is what to do if you're face-to-face -face with a shooter. 
excuse my voice tonight. My voice tonight, by the way, it might sound a little bit raspy. Uh, I'm trying to have some cough drops when I'm talking, so hopefully you can uh, hear me pretty good. Now, though, your first thought about a school or workplace shooting may be that would never happen here. The reality of the matter is that a shooting can happen anywhere at any given time. So if you are unfortunate enough to find yourself in the same place as a shooter, whether you're at a school or in a workplace, it's always best to be, to be prepared. If you cannot run away reasonably safe, that should always be your first move. So if you can run away reasonably, do it. If not, you need to hide and barricade, and barricade yourself. And if you come face-to-face -face with a shooter, then you will need to fight for your life. If you want to know how to survive a school or workplace shooting, follow these steps. Method 1 of 5, running away. Decide if you should run, hide, or fight. If you are able to run away from the shooter in a reasonable amount of time, then it's time to start running as fast as you can. Though you may freeze and be too scared to do anything, remind yourself that runners have the highest survival rate in a shooting. If you can't run away because the shooter is too close or because you're responsible for a group of small children, for example, then you should decide whether you have enough time to barricade yourself in a room before you hide. If you don't have time to barricade yourself, then worry about hiding. If the shooter attacks you, you have to fight him. This will be your only chance at survival. Run away if you can. If you hear shots in the distance, but feel that you can run or escape reasonably safe, then it, be, then it should be time to plan your escape path. Though you may freeze when you hear the sound of bullets, you need to be able to, re to react immediately and see if running is your best option. Runners have a higher success rate in shootings than people who hide. So if you feel that your shooter is far enough away for you to make a run for it, then now is your chance. If the shooter is in close proximity to you, whether he's running up the hall or outside your door, then skip to looking for ways to hide, which we're going we're to talk about in a few minutes. Reacting immediately is crucial to the situation, whether you're running or hiding. Don't freeze up and delay your reaction. This may not give you enough time to run away, even though that may be your best option. Freezing can force you to end up hiding, which may not be your best move. Make yourself a difficult target to hit. Run in a zigzag pattern or crouch down as you run. Though your first instinct will be to run straight ahead, since you'll be running for your life, you should run in a zigzag pattern to minimize your chances of being shot. If the shooter approaches at a distance and aims his gun at you, you'll be hard to shoot if you are running, if you're not running in a straight path that gives him a hard enough time to aim his gun. Now make sure you run as fast as you can and try to run in a zigzag pattern or crotch at the same time. But if it is slowing you down or disorientating you, just run forward. Forget your belongings. If you're determined that it's best to run, forget your wallet, your purse, or your cell phone. Though your first instinct may be to take your positions with you, no one, none of them are as important as your life. People with you, as you're running, encourage others to run. If someone looks disoriented or too scared to move, grab that person and drag them with you. 
tell the people that running is crucial to your survival. If you're running in a big group, it'll be harder to target you individually, and you'll have strength in numbers. Method two, hiding and barricading yourself. Determine if you should hide and barricade yourself. It should only take a few seconds to determine if the best course of action should be to run or to hide. If the shooter is rapidly approaching the room you're in, then you should prepare to hide as soon as possible. If you have more time, but not enough time to hide, then you should barricade yourself and call the authorities before you hide. If you need to hide and have time to barricade yourself, and there are multiple people in the room, you should delegate tasks. One person or a group of people should lock and barricade the door. One person or a group of people should call 911. One group of one person or a group of people should grab all the weapons you can find. Turn off the lights. Immediately turn off the lights in the room where you are. This will disorientate the shooter and make it look less likely that there are people in the room where you are. Lock and barricade the door. Lock the door immediately and do anything you can to make it difficult for the shooter to enter. Remember that most shooters only have a few minutes before the police show up and they're not interested in taking the path of most resistance. Now, if you're in a bathroom that does not lock, use a belt or a t-shirt to tie the metal latches on top of the door that allow it to open and close. Once you're all locked and barricaded the door, stay away from the door and all windows immediately. Call 911. If there's a landline in the room, pick it up and call 911 immediately. Using a landline instead of your cell phone is the best move because the police will automatically be able to trace the call, which they would not be able to do if you call from your cell phone. Grab any weapons you can find. Look around the room where you're hiding and find anything that you can use as a weapon. It could be a stapler or a sharp, or sharp scissors you can find in the teacher's desk. The hot coffee in the kitchen or of your office, beakers, or dangerous acids such as sulfuric in a science room, or anything that is sharp, heavy, made of glass, or which could be used as a weapon. Alright. Now, try to stay calm. This may seem nearly impossible. It's crucial that you always stay silent. Tell people that whimpering or crying will only make the shooter more likely to find you. Be mentally prepared for the event that the shooter comes into the room and finds you. In that case, you'll have no choice but to fight. Consider playing dead if you can't hide yourself. But this only works if shots have been fired, and unfortunately you're in a room already fooled, or a place when people have been shot and have no place to hide. And they may be dead. Then if the shooter approaches your location... You could take a risk and play dead, hoping that he'll think that you're among the dead and will pass by you. However, this is a risky move, because he may not believe you're dead, and you may be too nervous to stay completely still. Alright, method 3 of 5, attacking the shooter. Do not try to reason with the shooter or plead for your life. Trying to engage the shooter, ask him what he's doing... Or to plead for your life by talking about your family has not been proven effective in dealing with shooters. The shooter will be on a rampage and will be beyond hearing the voice of a reason. So don't waste your time trying to talk to him. You're much better off fighting. If 
there are multiple people in the room and Bush the shooter. If there are multiple people in the room and he can see all of them, then you should all try to attack him at once, hurting him, throwing objects, and doing everything you can to render him powerless. You may not want to fight the shooter if you see that someone else is doing it, but strength in numbers will make it more likely that you'll all survive. Attack the shooter with any weapon you can. Use your sharp scissors, glass, or any sharp or heavy objects to attack the shooter immediately. Even a sharp ballpoint pen or pencil could be the perfect weapon for gouging out the, the shooter's eyes. You're fighting for your life and every second counts. Don't hesitate. Aim high. Try to hurt the shooter in the face, eyes, shoulders, or neck or arms so that he's more likely to let go of his weapon. You should stab him in the neck, gouge out his eyes, or stab him in the arm. Doing anything you can to make him get rid of the weapon or to hurt him so the weapon is within your reach. Kick him in the balls. Kick him in the crotch. If you can't go for his face or weapon, kick him in the crotch. This will be an effective way to disarm him and to cause him a large amount of pain. Method 4 or 5. Preventing or preparing for a school or workplace shooting. Report any suspicious activity. Keep alert and always report suspicious incidents to the authorities. If a student or co-worker talks about killing people or threatens to bring a knife or gun to school, report this to a teacher or law enforcement. You may prevent the disaster by doing so. Be aware of your school or workplace's lockdown procedure. Every school and office has some kind of lockdown procedure that stipulates how doors should be locked, where people should hide, and how the authorities should be called. So, if you'd like to be prepared for a shooting, be familiar with your workplace's standard procedure when it comes to shootings. Unfortunately, it may be difficult to follow protocol exactly in the event of a shooting, but knowing what it is can help you react in the most helpful way possible. Be prepared for a shooting. Though you should not bring a weapon to school or to the workplace just in case there is a shooting, if you'd really like to be prepared, you should take self-defense classes or other classes that teach you how to fight off an attacker in the event of an attack or a shooting. And method 5 of 5, when 911 emergency services arrive, Wait for the police or emergency crews to assess the situation. Do not reveal your position or run to the officers. This action may create confusion and the officers may open fire on you. Patiently wait for the rescue crew to bring the situation under control. If you are wounded, wait for a paramedic or firefighter so they can send you to the hospital. Listen to police or military instructions. When you're leaving the building, a police officer or a soldier will escort you to the exit. Leave the area immediately if you are able. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap for today's show. I hope you guys learned a lot of information on today's show. Although today's show was a very sad and informative show, I hope you guys learned a lot. Before I end today's show... I would like to once again give a moment of silence to all of our victims who died in all the school shootings. So join me for one final moment of silence.
All right, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to say thank you for tuning in to today's show. Uh, this was a very sad and tragic, information-filled show. So I hope you will leave the show with a lot of information. And hopefully in the next 10 years, there will be no more tragic school shootings. Please check out the American Writing Network on Facebook. Give us a like to follow us and hear about all of our upcoming shows. Please follow us here on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Variety Network. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do another American Tragedy Hour next Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm not sure what exactly the topic's going to be, but there's going to be another American Tragedy Hour next Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern. So stay tuned for that. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate your listening, and have a great night. Alice Carinelli, American Tragedy Hour, and the In Your Face Talk Show is now off the air. Good night, everyone. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. I hope you guys learned a lot on this awful show, awful tragedy discussed. Hope you guys have a great night, and thank you very much for tuning into the show. Alice Carinelli. America's Tragedy Hour Interface Show is now off the air. Rest in peace to all the victims of the school shootings. Good night, everyone.
Yeah, but, th- but th- that's all, folks. <laughs>